Welcome to Whispers in the Wind, a podcast where your story has a voice. Today's episode is with the author and my good friend Sarah Murray, who has a story about the dark corners relationships can turn to, and that you are never too young to experience life's most horrific experiences. This is her story. How are you doing today? I'm good. So I believe you're here for a story. Yes. Right. Do tell us what your story is about, please. <laughs> so, well, I suppose it's a, a story that sort of I want to be able to tell for other people that, you know, can relate to it, that are sort of going through the same situation and, you know, or might be in the situation where they, they just need sort of someone to talk to or someone just to listen to um, and know that they're not the only person that's going through something. So... Where does your story actually start? That's a good one. <laughs> um, so I guess, oh, how long has it been? Probably about maybe five, six years ago. Um, so I went to university um, and obviously meeting loads of new people um, and someone that I met, uh, we got quite close and I went back to his hometown and I was introduced to one of his friends. Um, and from there, I suppose that day really <laughs> set up for the next next two years of... A lot of laughter, a lot of happiness, but also ultimately a lot of tears, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle. Um, and I suppose all I can say is I sort of hope that I or wish that I could go back and not have met this person. Um, you know, we clicked pretty much straight away. Um, I sort of, you know, met him and I'd never sort of experienced anything like that before. You know, I saw him and I was like, I'm actually... You know, I I just felt like almost a different person when I met him. Just fell head over heels. Um, and, you know, from that first night I spent at his house. Um, and I'd never done anything like that. You know, I'd met him, this boy, eight hours ago. and So literally eight hours and you really clicked. Yeah. What was the clicking point? What was the point that, you know, you really just gelled with him? I don't know. I think, you know, we just sort of sat down and we were talking because there was a group of us. Um, so we were just at his you know, we got on really, really well. I thought he was absolutely hilarious. He was great. Um, and, you know, we went out that evening and we had a great time and it was almost like I'd known him for years. Um, it sort of, you know, felt like he'd always been in my life. So it was it was a nice feeling. And, you know, I was at university, so everything was new and it was all exciting. This was sort of first year uni? Yeah, first year of university, yeah. So, you know, everything was new, everything was fun. Um, and, you know, we just rolled with it. How old were you around this time? Must have been 19. Yep, young and naive, I think, is, is the words that I'd go for in that one. What were some of the best memories you had with him? Oh, gosh, there were a lot of memories. Um, I mean, we'd sort of been away. We went away with his family on a cruise, um, and that was, you know, I'd never been on a cruise before, um, and it was, you know, spending time with his mum, his brother. You know, we just had an absolutely great time, um, and it's definitely a, a holiday that I will remember forever. For various other reasons as well, obviously. I, see, I, see. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole relationship, when it was good, was just, you know, it was new. It was because he lived in a different city to me. So I, you know, got to travel up there all the time, got to see that city, see things that it had. And it was all just completely new. As the saying goes, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Did he ever travel to you? 
yeah, he'd travel to my hometown and to university occasionally. Okay. Um, so, you know, we did a lot of, you know, spent a lot of time with each other's families. Um, and you both went to the same university? Uh, no, he didn't. Oh, um, okay. I met him through a friend that I went to university mm. with. He was working full time. We had a lot of time to, you know, travel where I went to uni, travel his hometown. Yeah, it was all just new and exciting at the time, so I think. That's kind of where it all just snowballed so quickly because everything was so new and it was all exciting. Mm. How long did this, this, I guess I call it the euphoria stage where you're like, yeah, yeah, your this person's stage. amazing, the honeymoon stage is like, yes! You know, how long did it last for you? Because everyone has, you know, different things. I think we were together for the sort of better part of, I think just over a year, maybe two years. But I think that sort of, you know, all of that, honeymoon stage I think was you know a good kind of six months that we were sort of well happy I mean I'd sort of the last few months that was the worst because it that's sort of where the stage of you look back and go I wasn't actually happy like you know there mm. were red flags that people were telling me and I was like no no that's that's you know he just loves me it's that's not an issue so I think yeah probably about six months that you know things were good so you actually just says them about the red flags what sort of red flags what wasn't there um it was a lot of secrecy um especially i mean nowadays when it comes to the phone that's an issue in quite a lot of relationships i know that in what sense because sometimes they like to hide things on their phone mm -hmm. you know a wo the woman might want to see what's in the guy's phone but mm -hmm. he's want to show it and vice versa i mean is yeah. it those kind of problems yeah so it was just you know, I'd kind of, there were occasions where I reached for his phone or, you know, joking around, hiding it. Um, and he'd get very, very mad. Um, and, you know, at first I was like, oh, well, I get, you know, it's his property. You probably don't want that. But then switching that is if he'd hidden my phone, I wouldn't have got mad. Or if, you know, he'd moved my phone or unlocked my phone, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But he wasn't too much of a fan. Um... And as I said at the time, I didn't really think too much of it. Um, but obviously, when it started getting really bad, you know, I kind of stepped back and realised that. What did he do to say that it was really bad? He would just constantly, he, well, he'd be yelling at me um, and, you know, he'd get very, very angry. Um, luckily, in my experience, there was nothing physical that he did. Um, it was all very emotional. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was scary um, to have someone yell at you just for the simplest of things. Um, and obviously learning why he was hiding it. <clears throat> Eventually, I there were a couple of situations that he did that and I had confronted him. Um, but naively, he was like, oh, it won't happen again. Obviously it did. Um, and he just tried to sort of play it off as, you know, no, it's nothing like that. Um, but, you know, if, when someone's got screenshots of people on their phone, you sort of think, that's... Again, I wouldn't have anything like that, so why do you? Just actually, because you've actually written a book, The Art of Surviving You. Um, it is an amazing book, by the way. Thank I am you. a big fan. <laughs> Was there ever a thing where he might have said, you're too clingy or anything like that, or anything at all? It was never sort of, you're too clingy. I mean, the situation we were in, it was a long-distance relationship. Nice. Um, so there was that element of... You know, I, you know, being me, I need your attention. I want, I obviously want attention in the relationship. Um, and there were months that, <clears throat> that he, 
I just wasn't getting that sort of, it wasn't even, you know, a 24-7 message me all the time type thing. It was just, you know, we don't see each other. And when we do, it's only for a couple of days maximum. Um, and obviously where he was working as well. Um, so it was, I think in that sense, there was always a barrier there, I think, for him. Um, that, you know, it those sorts of relationships take a lot more time and communication and I think that's the one big thing that broke down very quickly is the communication um mm. you know I'd message him and it'd be like a whole day and he wouldn't reply but it or he'd open the message and not re respond and I'm like that's fine I'm not you know you don't have to talk to me all the time but it's that communication of why aren't you talking to me do you just need space um and no matter sort of how many times I sort of said it it just it was almost like I was being a burden you know I'd wanted to talk to him he was my boyfriend he was someone that I shared a lot of like a lot of my life with and you know in our heads at that time we wanted to spend you know our future together um so you know just for me to have to ask for him to just talk to me and you know him getting angry that you know I'm asking too much it was again a red flag looking back but at the time I just sort of blamed myself and said you know what maybe I am being too clingy maybe I shouldn't be asking for all of this mm. you know I need to give him space is it you know blaming it on myself mm -hmm. whereas you know you can ask for you know for communication yeah, yeah, and can... messages and a relationship right because right because the reason I ask is one of the poems in your book uh, I believe there we go ah this one the poem Come Flaws. Um, this one actually speaks about um, how, I guess clingy isn't, the clingy is kind of a word for it. And the only reason I say it is actually because of one of the lines in this. And so I will now read it. So it goes, I know my flaws. You do too. But you've discovered more, the ones I hadn't seen. The way I speak, think, Feel, breathe. Maybe the way I love is too smothering. My brain works is too messy. I fell too hard for you. Or I breathe too heavy. I mean, they're really hard-hitting words. They are, and I do love it. And the, 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 the line that really, really speaks volumes to me is, is the whole thing of maybe the way I love is too smothering. So you actually felt that he was thinking that. Well, yeah, I mean, it goes back to that. I'd sort of always blame myself of, you know, I'm asking for this communication, for us talking, anything like that, or, you know, just for him to come and see me. Um, but it'd, it would always be an issue and it would always be, it would turn into an argument that would just snowball and snowball. Um, but, you know, again, looking back, all I would say is, when can I see you next? Um, so it always... Yeah, it always felt like that there were just constant flaws of mine um, that he'd push at. So the arguments itself, would you say they were a really small thing? Like, what was one of the more petty arguments that snowballed into something that was just like, well, it, it doesn't have to escalate this much? Oh, there are a lot of those. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I've blocked a lot of things out um, and tried to forget a lot of things. There was no reason to argue the little petty ones. Yeah, you know, just be probably even just for, you know, what are we eating tonight? Things like that. And I mean, money's always a 
always an argument. Mm. Um, was it like you pay for me or he pays for you? Was it that kind of argument? Or? Uh, well, yeah, it was just sort of the back and forth of neither of us really have much money. <laughs> well, as a student, I, I do understand this. It's like, um, you know, you want Domino's pizza, you look in your pocket and it's like... <coughs> <laughs> There's nothing in there. Yeah, just can, some lint, maybe? <laughs> yeah, does this pay for it? Money is like a make or break in a relationship. Yeah, and it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's in every single relationship. Healthy, not healthy. You know, it's yeah. it's a fundamental issue, yeah. <laughs> I think, in life as well at the moment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it would always just be, it'd just be an argument. Mm. We'd just be sat down watching, you know, he'd be playing games and I'm like, you know, I've just driven all this way to come and see you. Can we spend some time together? And... I'd be the bad one for asking that. So the beginning stages where he was sort of telling you, you can't do this, you can't move that, shouting at you, how did that escalate? And what was the worst point of it all that he did to you? I think, again, as I said, I I am lucky that it never got physical in that sense. It was always, you know, the sort of emotional and mental kind of abuse. And obviously, you know, that's not to say that it's not an abusive relationship because a lot of people, you know, there's always the questions of, you know, is he hitting you? Did he hit you? When yeah. you say no, it's, oh, well, that's okay then. It's like, well, it's it's not. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm still struggling, you know, my mental health and it takes a lot out of you and it's constant. I mean, it's poor mental health is draining as it is mm. um and you know i've never had the best mental health um but i think it was you know after months of just almost treading on eggshells um it it really takes its toll um and obviously you know you can only take so much um i keep going back to it because that's the sort of situation that really stuck in my head is when i you know, he'd hidden his phone, he was in the shower, I was out, I was bored, so I just hid his phone under the bed. It was as simple as that, and it was, I mean, that then put into my brain of, you know, why is he so caught up about his phone not being in his hand? Um, and I'd never be able to know the password for it, and if I did, he'd change it, and it was always, it was just this big secret he'd always have with him. Um... But yeah, I remember, you know, he came in and he was not happy. Um, and I, you know, I was trying to play it off as a joke of like, oh no, I've hidden it, you need to find it. And mm. he wasn't having any of it and he wanted to know if I'd been through the phone, if I'd unlocked it. And I didn't know the password, so of course I didn't. Um, and obviously now, you know, in my current relationship, I know his password. He, you know, I remember sort of when I first got with him, we went out for a drive and he wanted the song changed on his phone. And he was like, can you change it? And I just froze. It was sort of... You were actually scared? Well, yeah, I was like, well, you know, what's your password? Are you okay? He told me the password. He was like, just go on my phone and, you know, unlock it. Mm. And I was just so... I was just nervous because I was like, can I actually yeah. go? Th can I touch his phone? Can I go through his phone? And, I mean, even now sometimes, like, if his phone goes off, I'll, like, make sure I give it straight to him without even looking at the screen. But, you know, if I sat and went through his phone, he wouldn't freak out he wouldn't yell at me and to me that was I mean I don't sit and stalk my boyfriend's phone for the record <laughs> uh, but yeah if I you know if I go through his phone or if I need to text someone through his phone he 
he's completely okay with it. And it was, you know, the more and more I'm in this relationship, it, you know, at the beginning, it was sort of looking back at, you know, it was crazy that, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to go through their other half's phone. It's not, that's not the case. That trust. Yeah, and it's, it was always that if you're hiding something on your phone, what are you really hiding from me? And that was, you know, the beginning of the kind of, well, something really isn't right here. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, you can only take so much, as I said. So one of the main core parts of the book is exploring how you were actually sexually assaulted, which was the, I would think, the the worst part of it all. Um, tell us about that. It was a lot more sort of shock when it happened. Um, I was so I, this was in second year of university, mm-hmm. um, and I was in a house with a few people, um, and everyone was out. And he'd come round. That point, our relationship had sort of already kind of broken down. Um, we, uh, it was when I found out about all of the cheating and the girls and that sort of stuff. And I didn't particularly want him to come round anyway. But essentially it was, as it refers to in the poem. And that poem is I Won't Tell, part one. Sleep. He can't hurt you. Close your eyes. He won't touch you. Stay quiet. He'll understand you. Please. Stop. I won't tell. I was asleep, so I woke up to the assault. Um, and I, I didn't do anything. It wasn't, you know, a big fight. I didn't, I just didn't move. Um, because it was a lot of the fear of, you know, is this actually happening? Um, and after that, I, I just tried to sleep. It was really just to kind of get myself out of that situation. I know I'd gone to the bathroom and sort of, you know, sat there like, what just happened? Like, does he even realise what he was doing? Um... So I went back and the next morning I woke up and messaged, who is my boyfriend now, um, and just essentially just messaged him and said, I just think he's raped me. Um, and he obviously wasn't very happy. He was quite angry, but I had to go into uni the next day. And I remember, I just felt, I just didn't feel human. I was just walking around with this, you know, in my head of, did that just happen? You know, feeling all sorts of violation. Um, and, you know, just having to sit in front of my lecturer, my friends, knowing what had just happened and knowing that I have to go back to that house with him still there. Um, and it was easily the worst day, um, worst night and worst day of my life. Um, and it's one that, you know, obviously it's going to stick with you forever. And I think it, in the way that it happened, of you know, I was at, as far as he was concerned... I was just completely, I was asleep. So he had taken advantage of the fact that I was sleeping and he wanted something, so he got it. Um, So he was swiftly told to leave once I got back. Um, I never confronted him about it that day. Um, And I I have confronted him since. Um, Because in my head it was like, did he, does he know what he did? Not trying to excuse what he did, but it was... Was he drunk? Was he actually drunk? 
No, we were. So I think I'd had a couple of drinks. He did keep giving me alcohol, um, but I, I, I don't want to put that down to him trying to get me drunk. I think it was no, just no, we course. were having a meal. Yeah. Um, but from what I remember, we were both completely sober. Um, so in yeah. his right mind, he knew what he was doing. Um, and I had confronted him a few months down the line. Um, and essentially, so I, I pretty much asked, you know, did I say no? And he, uh, did I say yes? And he said, well, did you say no? And at that point I was like, right, so you know exactly what you did. Um, really? He actually said that? Yep. Um, so at that point it was, cause again, this was a few months down the line. So at that point I essentially just had to relive it all again because it was, you know, under like getting to terms with the fact that it had happened and then also getting to the, you know, with the fact that he knew what he did. Um, and he happily lived with that and he would still talk to me afterwards. And there were a few months that we were still talking, not in a relationship way, but still talking. And I think that was a lot of me just trying to understand, trying to get over, not being able to let go of things. Um, so even after the official breakup we had, it carried on for a few months. Um, I didn't see him after that though. I never met up with him face to face and I, you know, I toyed with the idea once. Um, but I just don't think I could ever look at his face again. Um, so, yeah. I don't, I don't blame you for something like that to happen now. Um, okay. The, the other question I guess for it is, um, how did it affect you psychologically? I was just constantly upset, angry, sad, um, and in terms of, you know, my sex life as well. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. Um, I, it just, I completely went off all of that sort of stuff, you know, and physical touch, almost, not scared me, but there were things that, you know, I was just so uncomfortable with, and it was, you know, it was a lot of nights and days of just being so empty, and at this point, it was only my current boyfriend who knew. Um, so it was really just with me and him and it was trying to understand that and, you know, walking around with, you know, friends, family, going, like, you know, having all of this, you know, even the whole relationship that they didn't know it was that bad because obviously when we were around people, things were fine put a shield up on this act yeah so you're actually acting that we're you're all fine yeah and I didn't I mean I told my other very close friend pretty much like a brother um I told him um and it was you know for months it was just the constant torture of reliving it thinking about it and you know trying to just recover from what had happened um and again at this point I was still messaging him so it didn't help um, and people weren't happy about it, but, you know, all I'd say to them is, to me, this is how I'm dealing with it, and this is how I'm getting over it, mm. um, and I think that's the important thing is, you know, again, red flags, um, but people deal with things in their own way, and yes, it probably was quite bad to be talking to him, but in my head, I needed that, and I think it was almost trying to get some sort of closure and Getting back in control of me, of my actions, of, you know, anything to do with him is I'm talking to him on my terms. So I have control of the situation now and it was really just trying to get control back um, because, you know, I 
I, you know, wasn't in control. I think it's an admirable thing, you know, you've gone through this and you're still staying in contact, but you want to be able to regain that control on who you are. And I think that's an amazing thing. Honestly, that is an amazing thing. So I do, I can understand um, that part in terms of regaining yourself. Um, you, did you actually tell your friends? You mentioned you told a few people. What did they say about the whole thing? There's a lot of mixed reactions um, and people deal with that sort of information very, very differently. Um, you know, I didn't tell too many people to begin with, just the sort of close friends. And it was essentially, you know, just the, I'm so sorry. Um, if you need anything, I'm here. So I, I am lucky that I had a lot of support. Um, and over the sort of months, I'd sort of see him interacting with other people that we went to uni with. They, you know, they were quite close and almost in a selfish way, I told them because in my head it was seeing, you know, all of them talking, interacting, and it was, I, again, I almost needed to tell people that he was a monster. You know, I couldn't sit and watch them, you know, be friends with him and applaud him and, you know, think the world of him when really... You wanted to tell people about... Yeah, about what he did and who he really is. And, I mean, you know... I'm thankful that they, like, you know, they messaged me and they were like, okay, I won't talk to him again. Um, so they they cut contact with him, as far as I was aware. Um, but again, it was the, you know, just the typical, I'm sorry, um, mm. I hope you're okay. And obviously I wasn't. <laughs> but, you, again, you, you put on that face of, you know, no, I'm fine. Um, which is the dangerous part of, you know, if someone ever does open up to you about it, especially, you know, I've had people telling me about their experiences and it's, you know, they're like, oh, no, I'm fine, you know, I'm getting through it. But what they really mean is they're really not okay. <laughs> um, I mean, even now, I still, you know, there are still things that I'd still struggle with and there are days that are better than others. Mm. Um, and it takes time, but it's important to know that, you know, if someone does tell you something like that, you're going to get angry, you're going to get upset that's just human nature and you will deal with things in your own way but what you've got to remember is that person has just been through something so incredibly traumatic that you know don't go storming off like i'm gonna beat him up you know i'm, I'm gonna go no yeah that is yeah especially <laughs> especially guys um you know like if if for example if if it's one of my friends and it happened like you know what the f you know what the fuck did you do you know it's one of those things yeah the, the yeah. anger comes out you actually mentioned something um, in our previous talks. You mentioned the fact that the events that did happen, the what he had done to you, for a brief time you'd felt that they had defined you. Talk to me about that. Well, I just, I just always, again, it goes back to that control. Like I always had felt like he was in control, so anything that would happen, my reaction would be essentially because of what he had done, what he did. So I was emotionally all over the place. Um, and it was because, you know, I was still trying to deal with what had happened and understand it. And, you know, part of me just wanted to forget it because if, it, if, I, if I don't remember it, it didn't happen. But then there was the other part of, you know, you need to acknowledge that, that you've been through this. Um, and, you know, ultimately I wanted to spin it into something that could help other people. Um, so long term, it's been 
that's not good. That's <laughs> that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> but in the long term, you know, like trying to deal with it and processing it has has given me that power back. Um, but at the time, it was just everything I did. I'd second guess, like if I was again talking to my boyfriend. I'd be worried of, you know, am I messaging him too much? Am I being too clingy? You know, if I'm asking to see him, like, should I wait until he asks me? Um, and it was, you know, I was always just really conscious of what I was saying and thinking and doing and feeling um, because I just, you know, I didn't want to be yelled at. I didn't want, you know, to ask, can I see you? And him sort of say, oh, you know, you're always so clingy, I need time, that sort of stuff. Um yeah, for for a while I was very conscious about what I was saying, um, which was draining in itself because I just couldn't be me and, you know, relax around people because I was just constantly thinking. Um, and it definitely, when sort of more people, a lot more of my friends found out, it was always, I felt like that they were looking at me and just seeing, you know, or thinking, you know, that's the girl that got raped. And you, you almost you feel like, a yeah, and yeah. you know, it's almost, you know, I felt like I had it written across my forehead and all they do is look at me, you know, if there was some, some pretty non PG jokes going around about that sort of stuff, um, you so know, they people, were actually making really inappropriate jokes. well, no, they, they weren't making it towards me. It was no, just, it was that's, just yeah, that's, you and yeah, that's the sort of jokes. I mean, that's who they were and that's not an issue because they had been before that, but yeah. now because of that situation, if someone made some sort of joke, you know, I'd see kind of them tap and sort of look at me and be like, you know, you can't say that around her. How did that make you feel? Awful. <laughs> like, I, I remember we were at a party and someone did it and I just broke down crying because I was like, that's not who I am. You know, beforehand I was this upbeat, bubbly girl that, you know, you make a joke to and she really doesn't care because I don't. And I didn't at the time, but it was, you know, it was they think that I was fragile and yes I was emotionally but I didn't want I didn't want people to treat me differently because of something that I didn't do you know I didn't do that to myself I didn't put myself in that situation as people like to say about you know anyone who has been sexually abused is you don't put yourself in that situation you are in a situation and someone else has done that to you um so it was always you know I just felt like people were completely treating me different and I hated it because I don't want what he did to define me, because that's not me, and I am the same person as I was before. I've just gone through something that, quite frankly, I don't want you to talk about. <laughs> but try as she did to get over this event, it was much too hard, and Dionysus took over her. In the book, um, one of the poems actually, I guess, talks about one of your coping mechanisms, maybe? I like this one. It's quite vivid. Don't get me wrong, but I like the way it's written. Um, so this one's called Drunk. And it goes, I drink and drink and drink and, 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 and drink. I'm drunk. It's not easier, but, but it's easier. It's not better. But it's even worse than before. Did I mention I'm drunk? The cheer tone aside, um, obviously that was talking about drinking in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> was that a way that you used to 
deal with the whole situation definitely um i mean i think it's a pretty common thing um that you know a coping mechanism that a lot of people use um i mean said ironically i was drunk when i wrote that um and to be honest insider i was drunk when i wrote quite a lot of those poems um because it was sort of that was i mean writing that book in itself was part of a coping mechanism because i needed to get everything out and onto a page and I did creative writing at university. So they sort of went hand in hand. That was actually a university project part of it. Um, But yeah, the alcohol was definitely something that I relied heavily on. Um, I mean, looking back at it now, I I sort of giggle um, because I'd be walking around with a Costa cup, one of the travel mugs, um, and there'd be gin in it, there'd be wine in it, there'd be vodka. It was just constantly alcohol. Um, And, you know, my boyfriend, he'd pick me up at about one, two o'clock. And I'd be sat in there with this mug. And they'd, you know, I'd go to his family and, you know, they're thinking I'm just drinking a nice cup of tea. When in reality, I was just getting absolutely drunk at like three, four o'clock because, well, I don't know. I think it just helped. Obviously, the words flow. Um, But I think, (laughs) I think it was, I just didn't want to be with reality for a very long time. Mm. And even now, I mean, I went out the other day at the weekend with my boyfriend and I had that exact same cup. And the first thing he did was, is that wine? It wasn't. <laughs> it was right. It was actually a cup of tea that time. Um, well, that's good. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but, yeah, and it got to, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just drinking. Um, but, you know, eventually, you know, he did sort of sit down and say, look, this has got to stop. Um, mm. Because when I was drunk, I was very emotional. Um, so there were, you know, I did, hands up, I did cause quite a lot of, issues um because I was just always drunk always emotional and were you sort of emotionally unstable during this time well very (laughs) right right it was yeah it was it was a very tough time um getting through that and I mean I still drink just not to that extent Mm. um and it's you know hard not to kind of turn back to that because it was you know getting to about 10 o'clock in the morning and I'd be feeling really grouchy and I'm like I just need a drink and it's you know it'd be 10 o'clock in the morning and I'd get angry without alcohol um and it was always you know I lived on my own in third year of university and the amount that I was drinking was definitely unhealthy um but you know if there wasn't alcohol in the house I'd be panicking because I'm like well you know if I feel awful if I don't feel great I don't have anything to sit back on um but yeah, so the alcohol definitely played a big part. Um, so aside from the drinking, what else did you engage in as a coping mechanism or was that sort of the main one? That was a sort of main thing. Um, I never turned to drugs or anything like that. Um, it was, yeah, it was just the constant amount of alcohol. Um, and I know for a good couple of weeks I had, again, I'm so lucky that I had such a great support system. Um, but you know, we'd go out, at that point I was just covering it as a, I want to get it out of my system, so Mm. we'd go out clubbing, like, every weekend, um, which isn't a weird thing to do, Um, but the issue was, is that whenever we'd go out, I'd end up in a heap on the floor with panic attacks, crying, absolutely drunk out of my mind, Um, so I, I mean, I ruined a lot of nights out because of it, and I was forcing myself into those situations, you know, there'd be you know the medical team downstairs I'd have to go down and get you know it was 
it was tough um and the you know the panic attacks they're never easy um anyone who's had any sort of panic attack knows um that you know they're not great and they pretty much be every night um and again I'm so lucky that my boyfriend now he is great with it he learned very quickly how to deal with panic attacks I know he was talking to one of the medics one night to find out the best way to you know try and help out um so there were a lot of those um and I think that was again you know I just didn't feel in control um and it was it was a tough few months um well we probably went into a couple of years but yeah I okay interesting because again one of the other poems I read the Gods and Rigi was an interesting one actually because you referenced Dionysus, who is the god of wine, by the way. I, I do love this poem. And I, I, I mean, I studied uh, Dionysus because of acting. So we, we, we had to do a, a piece on him, like a monologue. I say him, it's actually her. So uh, this sort of talks about your drinking and I guess the extremity you sort of went to, um, which is, I guess, a very interesting take on it all, which is... Perhaps I overdosed of Dionysus. He took my brain. You and he are alike. One sip too many and I'm yours to control. Take me and I can't say no. I gave myself away finding solidarity in a poison. Take my limbs. Tie the strings. Pull me to you and I can't escape. Perhaps I overdosed of Dionysus. Gave myself to him. He promised to look after me. You and he are alike. I stepped too many in the wrong direction and I can't turn back now. It's a very interesting relationship with Yihad. And I do love that poem, by the way. It's, I, I think it's an amazing one. Um, it's, it's interesting hearing your thing and, and sort of seeing the poem. And you add this sort of human quality to alcohol and how it really just makes you into something else and it I guess it's slight deception in a way yeah 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 I think that I mean that's a very common with alcohol is that you know you get I mean everyone has that one alcohol that they can't drink anymore mine is tequila um so it's you know a lot of people struggle or have struggled with you know drinking way too much alcohol mm -hmm. um um yeah I, I think it's it's quite common um, and especially, you know, going through trauma, people, I mean, the first thing people turn to is alcohol. Um, mm. and mine is wine. Um, anyone who, ask anyone who knows me, is I'd, I will drink wine for England. Um. What's your favourite wine? Just, just out of curiosity. Uh, Pinot Grigio, white, I'm a white wine sort of girl. I wouldn't know, I don't drink wine. <laughs> I, I don't drink, so I, I love to see the bottles in wine. That's my oh, thing. Yeah. I collect the bottles, I fill them up with Coke. The, the black kind that you drink, yeah. uh, not the white kind, you're saying. And uh, I'll, I'll drink that in a glass and I just pretend I'm having wine and I'm getting off the fizziness. This is my way. So um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, that's really interesting. So I guess I kind of want to talk about your recovery. Yeah. Um, and sort of a, just a slight deeper dive into it for your poem as well. Because I think. The recovery process is one of those processes that is not what everybody expects. Yeah. Regardless of what you're covering from, it can be anything, an addiction, it can be a relationship, it can be whatever it might be. 
it's not the thing people think it is yeah. until you do it. Yeah. And I kind of want to know what was the recovery process for you? The, the number one thing that this recovery process has really given you. And I kind of want to just say this poem because it's the very last poem of the book. And I think it is one of the most, it's a very inspirational one for a different reason. Because I think it's the beginning of who you are now. And it's called recovery, funny enough. Recovery is scary. Does it even exist? Or will I be broken forever? Drinking forever? Scared forever? All I know is that one thing exists. I've tasted it once or twice. Surviving. And I promise I will survive you. It's my art. Talk to us about that because it's a very inspirational one. Survival is an art. I agree, survival is an art. And the book is The Art of Surviving You. So <laughs> the whole thing is about that. This is very true. Tell us about um, it was, I mean, it was a long process and I'm still recovering from things. Um, but that poem was the last one that I wrote, um, completely because I wanted, I knew I wanted to get a book published. Um, I just didn't realise it'd be this one. Um, but I, I knew that book needed something to round it off and obviously it needs a happy ending. Um, because, you know, I just tell myself I'm here, um, I'm doing you know, I've got a book, which is incredible. It's a childhood dream. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still here. I'm not, not completely recovered because, you know, it, it can take years. Like, it's different for everyone. Um, but as I keep saying, I'm here. Um, and I think that's a huge thing that, you know, there were a few times that I didn't want to be or I didn't think I'd be. Um, and, you know... I, th I think the main thing is just that recovery is possible. Um, mm. yeah. You know, yes, I'm not 100%. And will I ever be? We don't know. But I'm a completely different person than I was when I first got into that relationship. Um, and that's not because of him. That's because of me. Um, I've taken things in my stride. It's been, it's been a terrible journey and it's been tough. Um, you know, I mean, my parents obviously now know all about it. And I think that was a hard thing as well. Yeah. Telling my parents and my grandparents have the book. And mm -hmm. it's it's almost kind of relieving in a way. It's terrifying, but people know my story now. And it's it's the most terrifying thing that, you know, everyone knows something that I kept so quiet and so secret for so long. But people know and I've... You know, I'm thankful I've had messages from people saying that, you know, they've read the book, they can really relate. It almost feels like I wrote it for them. And it shows that so many people are going through the same thing that, you know, you could get on a bus tomorrow and the person sat next to you could be in that situation, could be the person putting someone in the situation like that. They could be just about to go through it. They could be recovering from it. You don't know that woman on the bus, the guy on the train, anyone could be going through it and the fact that they're still there in itself is a huge thing um but I'm just thankful that you know I survived it and I'm recovering from it and you know I've learned a lot from it um and I'm definitely a lot more 
confident in myself in you know how I approach things um and you know pushing boundaries I mean this is my first podcast um and it's terrifying and you know having to talk about the whole experience and reliving it but to be able to do that in itself takes guts and you got them yeah I'm just proud to be able to do that when a few years ago I, I just couldn't even get out of bed um so yeah and I'm hoping that when people read the book that it helps them um because it is it is a journey um but recovery is possible when it happens actually before we finish i would like to know one last thing mm-hmm. your relationship with your current boyfriend if you were to compare this relationship to the one that didn't turn out so well the highs of that relationship and the highs of this relationship what are the what are the differences it's incomparable really um it's a, it's just unmatched um i mean i've known this guy for a lot longer than i knew him mm. um so i mean i've learned that is don't jump straight into relationships before knowing them um but it's it's so supportive and i know obviously i've been through that so it's it the support is going to be completely different because i need that support there in terms of you know getting through the trauma um but you know understanding what a healthy relationship is like is the best thing to ever experience because if i need anything at any time of day i can call him and he'll be there um he might be busy but i know he's there um and just you know being able talk to your other half about something that's upsetting you or bothering you even if it's the hardest thing to say on earth just having them there and it's it's refreshing um and i hope that you know anyone who's been through a relationship like that i'm not saying getting into another relationship that's healthy is the is the problem solver um because you know sometimes you just have to find who you are isn't it yeah. it's about finding who you are your values what you stand for and yeah. you just use that yeah and yeah it's definitely having as you said self respect um and once you've got that i mean i learned that through like whilst being with my boyfriend currently um but i still learn it um and i'm still learning um but yeah i i think to anyone who has gone through that if you do find a healthy relationship afterwards then you know keep hold of that um and be proud that you got through some awful things um but you're still here you're still breathing and you have worth because as i my saying is you know you are not what other people make you believe you are because you're not and for anybody for anybody who who might have gone through what you went through um or is actually going through it right now where they don't see any way out what would you tell them that's hard <laughs> I tell them a lot of things um that it might not seem like it but it does get better and I know that's something that everyone always says when you go through anything but to have lived it and you know at 20 how old am I 23 <laughs> <laughs> to be able you know at my age to sort of go through something like that and get out the other side and you know I'm lucky I've still got the rest of my life to live um that you know you do get there and it might seem impossible but it happens um 
might not be in the next month, in the next year, in the next 10 years, but, you know, it happens and it's one day at a time. You're not going to wake up tomorrow feeling perfect because I wake up some days and feel awful and everything just gets to me too much, but it is there um, and it does happen and it feels incredible <laughs> when it does happen. When it comes to relationships, understanding and knowing your self-worth is paramount. It's the one thing that allows you to see how you should truly be treated. Sometimes we may fall blind to it and lose our way, and that's okay. So long as you find your way back and become a stronger version of yourself, that's what matters. If you have a story you want to share with the world, you can contact me through the Whispers in the Wind Facebook page, link down in the description. But as always, I'm Zafran Ahmed, and this is Whispers in the Wind, giving your stories a voice. Thanks for listening.